Hi, and welcome to the Part 3 with me podcast. The show that helps Part 3 students jumpstart into their careers as qualified architects and also to provide refresher episodes for practicing architects. I am your host, Maria Scudari. And this week, as promised, I will be talking about the energy efficiency in historic buildings. Uh, Today's episode meets PC3 of the Part 3 criteria. So the need for the built environment to become more energy efficient and carbon neutral, as we all know, has become more and more important. And as architects, we should start leading the way towards um, a net zero carbon and creating more energy efficient architecture. So today's episode seeks to expand how this can be done to existing historic buildings. Uh, Some of you may even have a question or coursework asking you to recommend or provide your thoughts on the subject. Uh, So today's episode aims to help you understand and prepare um, for something like this a bit better in case it either comes up uh, in part three or in your interview or just in general if you are looking to do something in in practice that covers this uh, aspect. So the energy and carbon performance of most historic buildings can definitely be improved, uh, helping them remain viable and useful now and in the future. So getting the balance right in order to avoid unintended consequences to the building's uh, heritage um, values and harm to human health is best done with a holistic approach that uses an understanding of a building, its context, its significance, and all the factors affecting energy use in putting together an energy efficiency strategy. So that's why Historic England has developed a guidance on how energy efficiency can be improved in historic buildings. Uh, And the National Planning Policy Framework also encourages the the reuse of existing uh, resources including the conversion of existing buildings, and it also supports the use of renewable and low carbon energy, and it promotes local authorities to advise uh, developers and homeowners uh, on energy efficient improvements uh, requiring planning permission uh, to be developed, ensuring consistency between energy design and heritage. So now reverting back to Historic England's energy efficiency uh, strategy, uh, which aims to avoid harm to the significance of the historic building, uh, be effective, cost-efficient, proportionate and sustainable, ensure a healthy and comfortable environment for occupants, and minimising the risk of unintended consequences. So what are the factors that affect a building's uh, energy use in operation? So these typically include the building's location and orientation, its fabric, uh, building services and equipment, and the people using it. So in order to understand the energy performance of a building, it should be viewed holistically as an interactive system. So although there is no one-size-fits-all approach, there are some general principles that should be considered when it comes to making energy and carbon savings in older buildings. So firstly, looking at the building itself and its context, uh, both need to be well understood before any changes uh, or retrofitting is made, meaning understanding the building's significance and potential harm from the changes, the influence of the local environment, 
the design, construction and condition of the building, the performance and behaviour of the building fabric, the engineering services, the building use, occupancy and management, the building's requirements and aspirations, the available resources and opportunities and constraints. Then secondly, the building users, owners and managers should be engaged. Then additional energy and carbon savings can be made through energy using systems um, where their demand is reduced alongside avoiding waste, increasing efficiency, improving controls, using low carbon energy supplies, avoiding complication, reviewing outcomes and improving thermal comfort. So those are the key steps that can be taken and considered to improve the energy and carbon savings in older buildings. But why do older buildings need a special approach in the first place? So traditional buildings in general take up moisture from their surroundings and release it according to the environmental conditions. So they also tend to have greater thermal inertia than modern buildings, meaning they heat up and cool down more slowly. So the relationship between heat and moisture in older buildings can be quite tricky. So changes to the building fabric for heating or ventilation are sought to be made to increase energy efficiency and also improve indoor air quality and comfort. That's why it's important to understand the way a building is performing as an integrated environmental uh, system. And of course, with older buildings, their distinctiveness meaning and quality to places and people provide a sense of continuity and identity so they therefore require special attention when attempting to make them more energy efficient. So in order to meet the special requirements for older buildings, uh, Historic England recommends a whole building approach to be adopted. So this approach considers balancing solutions in energy saving, sustaining heritage significance of the building, and maintaining a comfortable and healthy indoor environment. So the whole building approach also takes into account the wider environmental, cultural, community and economic issues, including energy supply, and it ensures improvements are suitable, proportionate, timely, well integrated, properly coordinated, effective and sustainable, and that a site-specific approach is taken that considers the interrelationship between the building fabric, the engineering services and the people using it. So the key stages in the whole uh, building approach include assessing and understanding the context, then setting objectives and planning improvements, then developing a detailed design and specification, uh, considering installation, use and evaluation and maintenance. So often the range in expertise in meeting these requirements may need to be performed by a number of different specialists to perform the tasks of assessment, design and installation, which will definitely be the case with larger, more complicated projects. So starting with the first uh, stage, assessing and understanding the building and its context, which means identifying any constraints and potential opportunities for improvements. So gathering information about the building's current modes and levels of energy consumption and any factors that could affect the feasibility of improvements. So such an analysis can range from a simple walk around 
uh, up to a detailed analysis, depending on the nature and scale of the project. So a well-carried-out assessment can assist with making decisions regarding the protection of the significance of the building and also the occupant's health. So historic buildings vary widely in form and construction, therefore their thermal characteristics can differ significantly, so it's very important to study a building carefully before making any assumptions about its thermal performance, including carrying out non-destructive thermal performance tests. Now when it comes to its context, many aspects can affect the building setting that can affect uh, energy use and opportunities for improvement, and these include exposure to wind, rain and sun. Then the next step is setting objectives. So following stage one, where all the necessary information is gathered, the next step is to devise a preliminary plan, setting short and long-term objectives for the project and identifying the measures likely to be appropriate and practicable in that specific context. So some of the key objectives include understanding the user's requirements, their aspirations and aims, which will then inform a suitable energy efficiency uh, strategy. So another is identifying the opportunities and constraints depending on context. So if a building is listed or in a conservation area, the range of acceptable improvements may be more restricted together with building use and occupancy levels. So identifying opportunities and constraints is an important part of the assessment process. So some quick opportunity wins could be through changes in occupation behavior and uh, remedying poorly adjusted, faulty or inappropriate controls and badly maintained or malfunctioning systems and equipment. Or even some low cost fabric related measures can be considered such as using curtains, for example, or installing uh, loft insulation and so on. But these should, of course, be considered in relation to the impact on the character and the significance of the building. So as a matter of top priority, any outstanding repairs and maintenance should be carried out to historic buildings and repairing or reinstating historic features help enhance the building's energy use and its character and significance. So buildings of traditional construction are inherently sustainable, meaning they are robust, durable and adaptable and built with materials that can be easily repaired and maintained. So their service life can be extended indefinitely, provided they are very well look up, looked after and um, repaired. So investing in regular and timely maintenance optimizes building performance and it increases the benefits of any additional energy efficiency improvements. Now moving to the next stage of the whole uh, building approach, which is detailed design specification. So in this stage, the preliminary energy plan is developed in detail. So depending on the size and complexity of the project, uh, some detailed design drawings and specifications will be required to enable necessary consents to be obtained and works uh, to be procured. So this is where documentation uh, should be detailed, clear and unambiguous to ensure that lower quality alternatives are not uh, substituted. So some key conservation principles, measures and techniques should be adopted for the repair of historic buildings, 
meaning only techniques and materials that have been demonstrated to be appropriate to the specific building fabric should be used. And if any of these materials are no longer available or appropriate, the intervention should seek to use a material that has compatible uh, properties with the historic fabric, both technically and aesthetically. So chosen interventions should aim to maximize the life expectancy of significant uh, building fabric, uh, consistent with sustaining its significance, and they should be technically feasible, practicable and reversible, or at least uh, retreatable. Uh, if for any reason they need to be removed in the future. And they should also contribute to, or at least not compromise, the sustainability of future management and maintenance. Therefore, all works should be adequately recorded and the records made available for others who may take on the building in the future. So basically any change that is made to a historic building should be accurately recorded so that uh, if they wish to remove it or it causes problems uh, in the future, uh, whoever owns that building or uses that building will be able to uh, make the necessary adjustments. Then moving to the next stage, which covers installation. So before any installation works begin, all necessary permissions should have been obtained and any conditions complied with. Then installers with sufficient training, expertise and interest in the whole building approach should be used to carry out the necessary works. And where fabric improvements have been carried out, the quality of the completed work should be checked using thermal imaging and air pressurization tests. And under the final stage is use, review and maintenance, whereby a handover meeting is carried out to ensure that uh, the building engineering services are properly commissioned and building users or managers understand what's been done how it is intended to work and how the building can be maintained. So the most important advice to be provided is on the importance of ventilation in reducing the risks of condensation and maintaining a good air indoor quality. So a good way to determine how the interventions made to the building perform is by comparing energy bills from before and after the improvements. Uh, so for larger projects, a full post-occupancy evaluation should be carried out to assess how the building is performing. But sometimes measures installed to reduce energy use in new and existing buildings sometimes fail to achieve the savings predicted. The reasons for this is performance gap, and these are due to incorrect assumptions about the thermal performance of the existing building, from inaccuracies in the data and models used to predict the energy performance uh, due to inadequate design and specification of improvements or from poor installation, integration and commissioning of improvements, ineffective or confusing control systems, building occupancy and patterns of use and occupant behaviour. So if you are assessing a historic building to be retrofitted using Historic England's whole building approach, there is a checklist of items that will need to be ticked off. Uh, these typically include checking the building's current arrangement, which is the building itself and, and its context, the existing heating systems, cooling systems, ventilation systems, lighting, hot water systems, appliances, and other energy using equipment and occupant uh, health. Uh, 
then you should initially seek to deal with improving the thermal performance using low cost and low risk options, which can be achieved by improving the sources of discomfort, optimizing the use of natural and artificial light, reducing the quantity of energy using equipment, insulating pitch roofs at ceiling level where applicable, or insulating flat or low pitched roofs at ceiling level, uh, also carrying out repairs in general, draft proofing, adding curtains and blinds, uh, refurbishing or replacing lost uh, shutters, and adding rugs or carpets to solid ground floors and suspended timber floors. Then you can move to the next step of improving thermal performance, which involves some risk and also cost which can be done by installing measures to reduce discomfort, which includes replacing energy using equipment, reinstating a missing ceiling, insulating pitch roofs or flat roofs, whichever is relevant, uh, rendering, plastering, lining interior walls with hangings or panelling, adding secondary glazing, adding shutters, uh, awnings or other uh, shading or weather protection. Also, insulating existing solid ground floors and suspended timber floors. And then you have the final step in improving thermal performance, which involves higher risk and high cost. And such works include uh, insulating in the joist zone, insulating above the deck and weatherproofing directly above the insulation, or insulating above the deck with a ventilated layer between insulation and waterproofing, generally insulating above waterproofing, also insulating walls internally and externally, replacing glass and windows, and insulating solid ground floors and suspended timber floors. So that is the general checklist that you should use when assessing what works need to be done to an existing historic building. So when considering making energy efficiency improvements to historic buildings, including designated and non-designated heritage assets, uh, the developer, homeowner, landlord, and so on, should take uh, certain standards into consideration. And these general standards should include meeting certain building regulation requirements, which we discussed uh, and covered in the previous episode. Uh, specifically implementing requirements set out in a proof document L. Then for private landlords, they are required to meet the standards set in the domestic private rented property minimum standard energy efficiency regulations 2015, whereby they are required to retrofit their properties to reach a minimum EPC rating of E, which they will need to provide proof um, of. And another standard to be adhered to is PASS 2035, which is the 2019 Retrofitting Dwellings for Improved Energy Efficiency Specification and Guidance from the British Standards, which also promotes the whole house uh, approach. So that covers what I wanted to talk through today regarding uh, energy efficiency in historic buildings and what you can do when they are retrofitted. Uh, So to sum up, Um, what I generally covered today. Uh, Historic England has put together a number of energy efficiency guidances to promote retrofitting and energy improvements to historic buildings. Uh, 
They propose the adoption of a whole building approach that promotes solutions that avoid harm to the significance of the building using effective, cost-effective, proportionate and sustainable solutions alongside ensuring a healthy and comfortable environment for occupants. The key factors to consider when assessing a building's energy use includes its location and orientation, its building fabric, services and equipment and people. Uh, Historic buildings generally require a special approach due to their construction taking up moisture from their surrounding and releasing it according to environmental conditions, causing them to heat up and cool down more slowly. So when assessing what a historic building requires, whoever is carrying out the works should follow a checklist of initially understanding the original building arrangement and assessing how the building is currently being used, then start to take actions to improve thermal performance, starting from low cost and low risk interventions, and then moving to more high risk solutions if and as required. So that concludes what I wanted to discuss today. If you want to learn more about uh, retrofitting historic buildings and their energy efficiency, uh, I would highly recommend visiting Historic England's website and going through their guidance notes and their uh, technical uh, notes. And that concludes today's episode. If you would like to get in contact with me, please feel free to email me on the address provided in the show notes. Thank you for listening. This is an educational show aimed at supporting the future generation of architects. The information, opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. Please join me next week for some more Part 3 with me tomorrow.